Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. You know, it's interesting. I looked I looked um, on one of my weather blogs this morning and saw that there was this, this storm out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. No no threat to us by no means. But um but it was uh if it if it were named, it would be the uh, the first named storm in December in like fourteen or fifteen years. And it reminded me of a of a headline at the Yale Climate Connections website. They have an eye on the storm blog. And the headline said, The Bizarre and Destructive 2022 Hurricane Season Comes to an End. You know, it's interesting. We see a successful season, a quiet season, as being no storms come to us. <laughs> that's, that's the way we see it. But did you know that this is probably one of the most destructive hurricane seasons here in America? Like maybe top 10. Uh, because of Hurricane Ian. And if you look at, if you sort of bring the aperture out a little bit and just look at the hurricane season that um, that someone like Josh Morgan, my, my chaser, the top hurricane chaser in the world, the way he sees it, it was a really busy season for him. And I decided to ask Josh to join me again. And we're going to look back on this season on this really bizarre and destructive season. And I think about you, who's coming, to, uh, Josh, who's coming to us from L.A. today. I think, J- Josh, when I think about you, I think about it almost killed you just because of the stress of going from one to the other, didn't it? Welcome to Coast View, by the way. Yeah, it's great to be back, Ricky. You know, I'm back in L.A. I'm in my Southern California life again. And I just for today, I feel like I'm back in coastal Mississippi. It's kind of nice. It is great, but it all this season was was rough on you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, dude, it was it was it was out of control. I, it was a weird season. It wasn't um it wasn't paced in a comfortable way. Not that hurricanes should happen uh, in a way that's convenient for me, but it was uh, you know I sat around all summer, uh, you know, doing absolutely nothing, uh, and then you know it was just around the middle of September that it finally really started up with Hurricane Fiona. And then it just didn't stop into November. It was just go, go, go. And I've I've never had a season like that where I was just completely like basically going nonstop for about a little over seven weeks. So let me, let me review for a second. What's in your mind as you're, as you're running off to, to deal with Fiona, not really knowing what's coming so you have a uh, first one your hur- top hurricane chase in the world so you have your icyclone site both in social media and youtube that anyone can go take a look at your various chases over the many years and um, you're also sort of the the top chaser dude for weather nation one of the strongest weather tv weather uh, organizations in the united states 
you also have you're in the process of continuing your series uh, that it has has been extraordinarily well received, Mission Hurricane, and uh, and you had many more shows to do in the midst of the season. You also had bought a land in Bay St. Louis after trying to find a home. You decided to buy land in the Old Town, and you're in the process of work. You were in the process of working with a local architect to design your house so that you can construct what will be your headquarters for chase seasons from this point forward. You'll still have your life in uh, in L.A. and your incredibly successful ad agency, but you'll be here on the coast. Uh, permanently, I hope you know to uh, to chase from from this location. You had a lot swirling in your life simultaneously, didn't you? Wow, you just you brought it back. The whole it was it was a big kind of cluster. It was <laughs> yeah, no, that that's actually really sums up what the fall was like. And yeah, it was it was uh, it was juggling all those things, and it was a uh, it was a little it was a little crazy, you know. And uh, and you know, in particular. Probably the the most stressful aspect of it was that we were shooting my new series Mission Hurricane during hurricane season, and it it just it it was a coincidence that that happened. I had actually begged the producers in L.A., you know, Juke and Media. I said, you know, they scheduled the shoot for uh, to, to shoot a bunch of episodes uh, right in September, and I said to them, you know, in advance, I said that is. I said, I don't want to nerd out on you, but that's the, you know, that's the climatological peak of the hurricane season. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And sure enough, that was when the shoot was scheduled is exactly when the season started going. That was that was during the kind of Fiona Ian week. So, of course, it had to get postponed into early October. And I managed to fit a week of shooting in L.A. between between Orlean in Mexico and then uh, what was the next one? Oh, and then Roslyn in Mexico. Between those two hurricanes, I managed to get actually it was almost like ten days of shooting in LA and then hurry back. So yeah, so it was between the hurricanes and the shooting and the house project. I, I, yeah, it was a little a little ragged by November. <laughs> well, listen, there are a lot of people who follow the tropics, and uh, I want to kind of bring this home for a second. What's important about Josh is that he's speaking to an international audience through his his social media following, very significant international audience. And then, of course, through Weather Nation, he's speaking to a national and international audience as well. Through the various blogs that cover tropics, you know, I would say that Josh is kind of a cult figure. People pay attention to where he is and what he's up to. They always speculate about him, so he's a he's quite a celebrity in those in those circles. Um, the fact that that he has chosen to build a house in Bay St. Louis because he fell in love with this community, he can speak to that. But when he talks about Bay St. Louis, he's speaking to the world. I mean, he's literally projecting to the world. When you picture your, when you post your beautiful pictures of downtown Bay St. Louis, there are people who are interacting with that literally from all over the world, aren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of a lot of my followers, you know, in, in Europe, in the United around the United States, have have expressed kind of an interest in coastal Mississippi from my posting. And some folks, <laughs> they ask me, they're like, "Hey, does the does the Mississippi Tourism Board pay you?" And I, I'm like, "No, I swear they don't. I just, um, you know, I like to sort of, um, you know, when I'm not chasing hurricanes, I like to kind of capture the mood and the vibe of where I am. You know, just with like still photography and stuff like that." 
that. And, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, Bay St. Louis and, and coastal Mississippi overall to me is very photogenic. You know, it's very, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just full of like kind of opportunities for like gorgeous, you know, shots, especially at sunset. I like to shoot around then. And, uh, and yeah, no, I think, um, I, you know, I think I've, I've painted a good picture of the town, but it's also, it's the town as I really experience it. You know, it's a, you know, to me, it's a, it's a beautiful town, a, a, a beautiful place to live. I really, I really like it. It is my, it is my favorite thing, you know, um, you know, after chasing a hurricane in Mexico or Belize or Canada or God knows where, you know, just, just coming back to those quiet days, you know, in between the chases, you know, just coming back to Bay St. Louis and kind of the calm and the, the solace of it. What I love about the way, first of all, in for, for regular listeners, they already know this because they, they, you and I have talked in great detail about this, but as you as you just reflected, you fell in love with Bay St. Louis. You came here during the pandemic sort of as a, a headquarters because you were not going to be able to do international chasing. You were only going to be doing sort of in the continental United States. And essentially what that did is you, you wanted to find that center point. That's what brought you to Bay St. Louis, this historically iconic town, though, because of Hurricanes Katrina and Camille and others, for that matter. You're You're on top of everything else a uh, hurricane historian but what you, you what brought you here initially sort of evolved into a love for coastal mississippi and in particular bay st louis the culture the sights the sunsets the sunrises all the things that you just talked about what i love about the way you've expressed yourself though josh to the world as people wonder about mississippi you know what is it about mississippi that you're attracted to because what's in their minds is some vision of Mississippi that doesn't really exist. And you've done a really good job of dispelling myths about Mississippi. And you're proud of that, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think um, I, it's true. You know, my um, my friends from California, you know, when I, uh, you know, or, you know, when I say, hey, you know, I'm building a house in Mississippi, they're like, oh, really? Huh? Wow. And uh, they kind of, you know, they don't understand. I think actually, isn't the tourism slogan like the secret? What is it? Um, secret, the secret coast. I have to say, you know, I'm a branding and advertising guy and, and I, I want to praise whoever came up with that. Tag, that that slogan because actually I think it's perfect and I think it captures sort of the the crux of the matter here which is that it's like the best kept secret I mean I know there's actually presses there's been more and more press about coastal Mississippi USA Today I think the top two small beach towns in the U S were Ocean Springs number one and Bay St Louis number two I think they got that wrong I think they should be reversed but I do praise them for putting coastal sorry sorry Ocean Springs don't <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a righteous Bay rat now. <laughs> hey, what's interesting, you know, you speak, you said that you're a branding guy, and I shared with you on one of the blogs last year during the height of the hurricane season, um, someone was wondering, what is it about Josh that enables him to be able to do all these chases all over the place? And people speculate about that. And then one of them posted a link to your ad agency in L.A., and it showed all the different logos of the companies that you work with. And, and every, everyone was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, this guy has an incredibly successful career, and he also just happens to have a passion, sort of this dual thing that he does in life. When we come back, we'll give people, when you say you admire the Secret Coast, you, when you say that you're a branding guy, I mean, you really have immense experience of that. We'll, we'll continue our conversation with Josh Morgan after this. 
Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Listen, uh, I first learned of of Josh Morgan. I knew his name kind of in sort of the tropical weather world. But then when he was in the Bahamas for Hurricane Dorian and he was presumed dead for several days, finally got himself out of there and and of course, you know, all the major media were very interested in his experience. It's then that I really started to drill down a little bit more to try to understand him. And then, as as uh, as it would have it, the pandemic happens. He lands in coastal Mississippi. Um, we 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 get introduced on the show, but then we sort of become friends. I, I find Josh. You think about what is that Dose Keys commercial? The most interesting man in the world. Well, that that's kind of what Josh is. Josh is that kind of guy. He's uh, incredibly talented. He's extremely bright. He has a passion for hurricanes. He has a very successful branding company. Um, I could go on and on, but he's a really interesting guy, and I enjoy being around interesting people. And so we we struck up a friendship, and he, my wife Ann and I. And, uh, and Josh had become really good friends. I met Josh's mother along the way who came down from New York to enjoy Mississippi along the way. And it's been a, it's been a great friendship. And, uh, and now that I've gotten to know him, I, I still feel the same way as I did when we first met. He's just a really interesting guy. Hey, listen, before we get too far away from it, when you mentioned your branding guy and the Secret Coast sort of slogan for Coast of Mississippi, you really make that statement from the perspective of someone who really knows what they're talking about. Give people a sense of what your agency is all about. Yeah, it is. A, it really is. The Secret Coast, like I said, whoever came up with it, it's great work, in my opinion. You know, my, my company, we do branding and advertising for just, it could be anything from a candy brand to like a, uh, you know, a, 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 a media company is you know, creating a new TV channel and they need us to name it and, and give it like an identity. Uh, so, so we have to constantly sort of uh, figure out a way to communicate the essence of something to its target audience. And I think the secret coast for Mississippi, and, and, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because I'm usually very like critical of, you know, when I watch TV and I watch uh, advertising, I just sit there and like in my mind, I'm criticizing everything. But I think I think secret coast is perfect because that's what it is. It is almost yeah. like a secret to the rest of the nation. Like folks don't know. I felt like I, I discovered this like amazing place and I'm almost like selfishly hoping that not too many other people you know, discover it. But then of course I'm blabbing about Mississippi and talking it up on social media all the time. So I guess I'm going counter to that wish. It's, but it's not just social media. You've actually done some remote uh, reporting from Bay St. Louis for the yes. weather nation. T- tell us, tell us about how, being in Mississippi is sort of your headquarters creates opportunities to really showcase Bay St. Louis and if not an indirect way. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm on season contract with Weather Nation. And one of the things I like about working with them is they give me a lot of creative latitude. Um, They allow me to come up with sort of programming ideas or content ideas and bring them to life. And I said to them, hey, you know, 
let's really let let's have it so I'm I'm really reporting from Mississippi, from Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And I always say, you know, when I when I start my weekly segments, I say, you know, from Bay St. Louis in the heart of the USA's hurricane country, because that's what it is. You know, you look at Mississippi, it is, you know, it's right in the middle of the sort of our very, very threatened Gulf Coast, you know, from Brownsville, Texas to Key West, Florida. You know, Mississippi's right in the middle, so it's a great place to report from. And I felt like sort of doing doing sort of ongoing reporting from there it's it's a more kind of like i'm more organically and authentically connected to the community i'm there i'm i'm you know uh, you know i'm just i'm another resident kind of experiencing the ebb and flow of hurricane threats as they come in and it's a different kind of sort of reporting and storytelling than you know what i used to do which is sort of just the sort of uh you know surgical strikes i just you know fly in do the hurricane and leave this is different this is I'm experiencing it with everybody else. Yes, that's very cool. Mission Hurricane, you did one um, sort of a, of, of a, an initial uh, run at it. The response was incredible. And now you're you're going back to do, you've done some more. You're going to do some more after that. How many how many total segments will, will you do when you get done with the, with the current scheduled pieces? Yeah, I'm excited about this. This is my big new project. So, so as you as you said, we uh, we shot the pilot episode in May, and this series, Mission Hurricane, what it is. Each episode, I look back on one of my greatest adventures, kind of uh, sort of like bring you through the experience. So uh, the producers, after a lot of deliberation, they decided that the pilot episode would be about Super Typhoon Haiyan, which was a Category Five typhoon that just flattened a city in the Philippines, thousands dead. I was there. I was actually rescuing people. They decided that would be the premiere episode, which was, of course, a good topic because it's so, you know, intense and, uh, you know, emotional. So uh, the pilot did very well. They wanted to see how the pilot did uh, before deciding to greenlight the series. So, of course, I was anxious about that. You know, there's the most nerve wracking thing when you when you you know, when you work in TV as a, as a TV personality or an actor is like, you know, premieres, you really lose sleep over them. I'll tell you, but, uh, this one did really well. It was a smash. So they greenlit the rest of the series. So then in October, I went back to shoot 10 more episodes. Uh, it was a really, really brutal shooting schedule. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, I'll tell you, man, there's nothing glamorous about TV. Like when you, you get into it, you know, you wake up every morning, you know, you drive in, you know, really early, you know, you do they, they put all the makeup on you and everything. And then they get you on the soundstage and then you shoot for half a day. You have a lunch break alone in the dressing room. Then you shoot for the second half of the day and drive home at night, bring dinner home, eat it in front of the TV, eat a pint of ice cream, pass out, get up, <laughs> do the next thing again. <laughs> that was yeah, no, it was really, um, it, it was tough, but we got through it. I think we did a good job. And now we have two more episodes uh, to do. So it'll be a total of pilot plus 12 episodes. So, uh, and we're shooting the the, uh, the remaining episodes and some pickup content uh, next week. Well, that's, that's really cool. So tell people how they can watch Mission Hurricane. Mission Hurricane is on, uh, you can get it on Weather Spy, which is if you have a connected TV, it's like on Roku, Apple TV, like all of those platforms, or you could actually watch it on your mobile device. Just get the Weather Spy app, and it's right there. The show is under premieres, and it's, it's, it's like I think it's still the first one, Mission Hurricane. So that's really going well. And uh, when you say the first was a smash, it really was extremely well received. They were very pleased, weren't they? 
Yeah, they were. They were. I, I think they um, the the sort of the, the stats on it, the ratings, how you know how much it was watched, uh, you know, in real time, and then sort of watched on demand afterward. I think it's done very well because all I know is after you know a couple of weeks after the premiere, they just said, okay, yep, we're doing the rest of the series, and we want you. We want to shoot this right away, and of course, uh, that way they were hot to shoot it. And of course, we were right in the middle of hurricane season, so I was a little anxious about that, you know, because I didn't want to, you know, miss. Well, I wasn't going to miss any chases for a shoot, but uh, fortunately, we managed it. We I had to cancel once, and then, like I said, we managed to squeeze it in between two other hurricanes. And in the midst of all this, I didn't mention that you're also um, sort of a spokesman for Kestrel Weather, and uh, explain what that is. All right. So when I first started chasing, when I was, you know, in my 20s, I was just <clears throat> pure adrenaline junkie. Uh, I didn't have any desire to document the hurricanes in any way. I, I didn't I didn't measure them. I didn't even shoot them. Like my first couple chases, I didn't even take a camera. Just wanted to just be in it, be present in the moment. Of course, this was before social media and stuff, before, you know, before I had an audience or anything like that. So over time, it became important to me to document. And the thing I'm really, really passionate about now, it sounds really nerdy, but I love collecting data inside the hurricanes, especially the ones that are hitting really remote regions. Like, for example, maybe a, a stretch of the Mexican coast that has no weather stations or anything. Getting in the eye, getting crucial air pressure data really excites me because in those situations, the data I collect in the hurricane could be the only data that exists. And afterward, the National Hurricane Center can use my data to figure out, okay, what happened exactly? So I need uh, equipment that is portable and very, you know, accurate and portable and, uh, and, and durable, and that's Kestrel instruments. So I take these little things called Kestrel weather meters, and if you can picture, it's kind of like they look almost like mobile phones. Uh, and I bring a whole fleet of them. And when a hurricane's coming ashore, I plant them along the coast to kind of collect, um, you know, sort of full, full sort of a full sort of air pressure profile of the hurricane as it's coming ashore. Sorry, I'm probably putting most of your audience to sleep now. But um, the, the company that produces those devices, which are very popular among the weather community, both storm chasers, uh, meteorologists, and just casual hobbyists, uh, those uh, the company that produces them is uh, you know is Nielsen Kellerman. This is the Kestrel line of products. They're very popular, and I do I sort of do uh, I sort of talk about the products, and I also uh, do right now. I'm doing an explainer about how to how to use them. What's What's interesting about what you just said about you may place them at various points. What people have to rec, you know, when someone thinks about this, they might think about you know um, you using Highway 90, or excuse me, or I-10 to sort of position yourself where the storm's going to be and that you've got all this great, you know, paved highways and infrastructure that allows you to sort of position yourself perfectly when the eye comes in. What they may not be thinking about is something that might be going down in Central America or Mexico where you don't have these highway systems and you're, you're going down dirt roads and it's um, and you're dealing with, uh, you know, jungles <laughs> literally when we come back i want to talk about how that part of what i just mentioned really defined your season outside of course of some really dynamic hurricanes you chased not the least of which was hurricane ian which was a life changer for so many people we'll see you after this break
subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have uh, my friend Josh Morganman, the top hurricane chaser in the world. And we'll come back to Ian in a minute, but just as sort of a headline, Ian had over $50 billion in damage, 145 deaths. It ranks as the fifth deadliest Atlantic hurricane in the past 60 years. Uh, Hurricane Fiona did a lot of damage in Puerto Rico and Canada. And as, as they point out in the uh, Yale blog, it, it has a strong chance of having its name retired. So we're going to come to those in just a second. Actually, the first part of Fiona, when you were in the Dominican Republic, and just to kind of list a few of these, your chase of Lisa in, in uh, Belize City, uh, your chase of Agatha in uh, really extreme southern uh, Mexico or Central America, uh, Roslyn in Santa Cruz, uh, Arlene in, um, in another uh, northern section of, of Mexico. Each of those, every single one of those, had tr- extreme challenge attached to it because your, your goal is to position yourself where the eye is going to be. And oftentimes, they're not highway systems and you know interworking infrastructure like you would see in America to allow you to get positioned in those places. That made this season just incredibly grueling for you, didn't it? Oh, 100%. You know, only a small portion of my chasing happens inside the United States. Now, there are exceptions like 2020. Most of it was in the U.S. because we had one of our biggest seasons in our nation's history. You know, six landfallings, hurricanes, you know, in the Gulf uh, or maybe was it five and then one like in the Carolinas. But it was a big season in the U.S. This year I was mostly abroad. You know, there were a couple of big ones in the U.S., but but most of it was, as you said, in Mexico and Central America. And I'll tell you, chasing in some of these places, it makes chasing in the U.S. like it feels like vacation. It's so easy. You know, folks don't realize you know, we have it, you know, especially storm chasers who haven't chased abroad. They don't realize how easy we have it in the United States. You know, all this infrastructure, great roads, you know, a lot of population density. So there's lots of towns, amazing radar coverage. I mean, no nation on this earth, even other first world nations, they don't compare to us in terms of like radar coverage. So all the tools that you need. You know, you go down to some of these other places, you know, there there are no roads along the coast um, or like you were saying, only dirt roads. Uh, There's no radar coverage. So I'm using like visible satellite imagery to navigate. It's a it's a whole other ballgame. And this year, most of it was down in very remote, excuse me, hard to reach locations. And it was it was tough going, tough chasing. What 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 keeps you moving forward in a tough in a tough situation. I remember, like, for example, I remember when you made the decision on Fiona to be in the Dominican Republic, when it was pretty clear it may not actually, I might not actually hit there, but turns out you made the right decision. But man, you've got to, you've got to play some serious bets, don't you? Oh yeah. I mean, the life of a a storm chaser and a hurricane chaser in particular, it's the life of a gambler. I mean, you're constantly, you know, making choices where you might hit the jackpot or you might totally bust. And that was a tough decision. And I'll tell you, it took a lot of flack for that decision online. I mean, folks were making fun of me 
everyone, all, all the other guys who chased that storm were in Puerto Rico, and everyone thought I was crazy uh, to pick the Dominican Republic. But, you know, I was looking at the computer models, and I was just getting a sense that it was going to brush Puerto Rico. But then but then I felt like it would nick the Dominican Republic and that it would be stronger there. And uh, I'll tell you, I had a few hours where I thought I was going to bust. But as it turned out, you know, my, my I'm going to say my judgment was right. And it came through, and we got a good square hit there. Well, look, you said there were a couple of situations where you <clears throat> thought you would bust. And that means that you weren't in the eye, or at least in the eye wall. But one storm in particular in Mexico, you didn't pick the right place to be in, did you? Well, it depends what you mean by right place. I don't mean yeah. from being in the eye. You were in the eye. I just mean the building fell apart around you. Yes. So meteorologically and in terms of chasing, it was a perfect spot. But yeah, no, it was very unsafe. So this was Hurricane Roslyn in Nayarit in Mexico, which is a small state uh, that not a lot of people have heard of. It's a little above Puerto Vallarta. So Roslyn came in. It was this very small but very violent hurricane. And that was an example of how hard it is to chase in some parts of Mexico. No roads along the coast. So kind of had to navigate to this isolated town through this one road. Road, got there, you know, the wee morning hours, four or five, This got to this little tiny town called Santa Cruz. Uh, whole place is, you know, of course, all closed down. Uh, my chase partner, Eric, and I, we end up, uh, you know, the hurricane starts to come in, the wind starts to get strong. We park the car and there's kind of nowhere <laughs> for us to go. So we get uh, we, we sort of go to like this patio restaurant where we had eaten about eight hours earlier when things were calm. And we're just sort of standing on this patio. It's kind of downwind. The wind starts to get crazy. Uh, it picks up. It gets really violent. And the whole roof just of the patio just starts to blow away. So uh, Eric and I end up where you know, we're scrunched in a little ball underneath a counter on that patio, just wreckage blowing all around us. It was it was pretty scary. That was actually kind of that was a, one of the cliffhangers of actually probably one of the most dangerous uh, chasing experiences I've had in the last few years. You know, and that's you know, how it is. You can plan your chases out and 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 be all safety oriented and this and that, but those final hours when you're trying to get just in that right spot, you know, safety goes out the window sometimes. You know, you were under that bar. Did you ever think about somehow buying that bar and and installing it in your new house in Bay St. Louis? Wow, this thing's solid concrete. But you know, <laughs> but now that you pointed out, that would be really cool. It would have sentimental value because it saved our lives. <laughs> Woo, man! Listen, you had several several um, several chases <clears throat> that started on the Yucatan Peninsula and ended in the U.S. You had two of those in one year, actually. But again, Fiona was an interesting storm because you were you faced it in the Dominican Republic. I, I spent my family and I spent some time in the Dominican Republic this year. Great people there, enjoy, we enjoyed our time there, and you got to help them clear roads and do all of those things. But then you made the decision to follow Fiona on up to Nova Scotia, and um, and you were in you were in Glace Bay for in Nova Scotia for the second hit, and. Um, that was was that the longest track you've ever done? Absolutely. That was that was a crazy chase. So the two sort of 
penetration points down in the Dominican Republic, deep in the tropics, then way up in maritime Canada. Uh, those two points were over or just about 2000 miles apart. So that was like an epic kind of an Odyssean uh, sort of chase experience. You know, I, I felt like I got back to Mississippi. I felt like I should have like a long gray beard, you know, <laughs> like it felt like that kind of a, that kind of a trek. And that was a really cool. I also call it like my cradle to grave chase because when I chased it down in the Dominican Republic, it was this kind of newborn intensifying, you know, deep tropical hurricane. It was just sort of, it had that, that kind of angry edge that new hurricanes have as they're getting going. And then when I was getting it up in Canada, it actually was no longer a hurricane. It had sort of become a post-tropical storm, still very intense, still had hurricane force winds, but it wasn't a hurricane anymore as we know it, you know, down in Mississippi with the eye wall and the eye and stuff like that, still very destructive. But it was cool to experience it down in the tropics and then up there. And I'll say one of the weird things about doing it up there is, I'm not joking, at the at the height of the storm, you know, when the wind was really destructive and like, you know, like ripping roofs off of buildings and stuff like that, it was freezing. I mean, literally, there was like, there must have been a wind chill factor because I was I was shaking while I was trying to shoot it. Incredible. 85 knots and 85 knots, nothing to sneeze at. And we yeah, you may remember, two. yeah, and storm surge, the whole nine yards. It was it was very destructive. You know, it, w- it reminded me a little bit of, of Hurricane Sandy in the Northeast, which when it came ashore in New Jersey, New York was not technically a hurricane anymore. But, you know, to folks who were in the impact zone, the meteorological classification didn't matter. It was super destructive. And this thing was up in Canada, you know, up on Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. I mean, there was devastating damage, like homes washed away by storm surge. And I saw a lot of wind damage on Cape Breton Island where I was. Well, we, uh, again, we in coastal Mississippi like to think that uh, a season wasn't that busy when we don't get hit. <laughs> and that that's that's normal. I mean, you, you're completely conceivable. That's the way we should think, actually. And it was a really quiet season for us. I've got leaves on trees that normally I don't have the leaves on trees. And we don't have to pick up uh, debris along the water. You know, even if we have a tropical storm or even a depression or the edge of a hurricane, we have to deal with rising water and the fact that lots of junk gets washed in and we have to clean that up. We have to do any of that this year. And that was great to see, but I wish I could say that about our friends in in, uh, in Florida, because Hurricane Ian, Hurricane Ian was in the original hurricane models looked like it might actually come close to coastal Mississippi, and then slowly but surely they started shifting into the Florida Panhandle, and then eventually, obviously, we know the track took it in uh, south of Tampa. But at one point, if you go read for tropical enthusiasts, you already know this, but. But the Tampa Bay area is one of those areas that if it were, if Ian had come into Tampa Bay, it would have been unbelievably, unbelievably devastating because so many homes are in the four foot range. It's hard to even think about that. Uh, but still, where it hit, it did enormous damage. As I mentioned, over $50 billion worth of damage. And, and Josh was there. So when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about this substantial hit that America got in uh, Hurricane Ian. When we continue our conversation with the top hurricane chaser in the world, Josh Morgan, we'll see you after this break. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Gulf Coast. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my dear friend Josh Morgan, the top hurricane chaser in the world, has uh, a show, Mission Hurricane. You can go look it up on Weather Spy. Um, they have a great app. I've watched it on my phone, and, of course, we have it as part of Apple TV, so you can get it that way. Hey, we went to break. We were mentioning that Ian Ian's going to be one of the most destructive storms in the United States history. It hit Pointe Gorda as a 130-knot Category 4 storm, and if it, had just, if it had just moved a little bit further north, we'd be still talking about it in, in dramatic terms because of the impact that it would have on Tampa. In fact, uh, if that storm were to hit Tampa, it would actually have an impact on the United States economy. That's how significant it was. So it was still a very significant storm. And, you know, there are not any areas of the coast along that part of uh, Florida where there's not a lot of density of homes. That's just the reality. A lot of elderly people. And it's actually been sad keeping up with the aftermath. I think Florida has done a fairly good job of dealing with it, but a lot of elderly people had to make you know immediate decisions not to rebuild, move back to where they came from, or move in with family. Just really, really difficult. Obviously, we had flooding, or they had flooding in areas that had not had flooding before, and um, and so they didn't have flood insurance, and they're learning the reality of the insurance market. The insurance market already in Florida was not very good. It was very fragile, so, somewhat like it is here in coastal Mississippi, although we're in a better position here because of the wind pool being one of the healthiest in the nation. But that was a that was a uh, a tough chase uh, just in terms of figuring out where you wanted to be. But eventually, you planted yourself, and what was that experience like? Yeah, that was something. I mean, that was that was another surprise. You know, one thing we've seen over the last few years. You know, are these hurricanes and actually I feel like it started in 2018, but this trend of hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico and just before landfall, they totally bomb out. And by bombing out, that's sort of weather nerd terminology for get really strong all of a sudden. And uh, I remember the first time, it, you know, in this sort of cluster of storms that, it, you know, happened was a Hurricane Michael in 2018 on the Florida Panhandle, there was this mythology developed that when hurricanes hit the northern Gulf Coast, that they're always going to weaken before landfall. And then Hurricane Michael did the opposite, came ashore as a five. And then uh, 2020, Laura did it, you know, Louisiana. And then in 2021, Ida did it. So you had all these examples of these hurricanes that got really strong just before landfall. And then Ian did it. Now, I mean, Ricky, you know, you and I remember we were texting a couple of days before the storm, you know, you and I were talking about, hey, it might be a threat to Mississippi. Then the computer model shifted east, but it was not supposed to be a strong hurricane. They all had it coming ashore as just kind of unraveling garbage up in the Big Bend area. And then it just it got really strong and took that right hook and came in as, yeah, 150 mile an hour hurricane. I mean, that puts it way up there as one of the strongest in American history. And as you were pointing out, hit a very, you know, a, an area with a lot of population and a lot of property to break. Yeah, what was interesting about it, and this this same thing happened here with Katrina. People made decisions to stay or go based on their experience with Hurricane Camille. And as uh, as others have said, that Camille killed more people in 2005 than she did in 1969. Now, the same thing is true for that part of Florida with Hurricane Charlie. This small storm, Charlie was a little bit like the storm you just talked about, um, um, Rosalind, is that right? The, yeah, Rosalind, this very compact storm. 
And so you didn't have the big storm surge and all of that. People made decisions to stay or go in Florida based on their Charlie experience. And frankly, that turned out to be a terrible mistake. I mean, again, 145 people killed, so many more injured. Many, many people just had heroin experiences to tell. But it was just devastating, wasn't it, buddy? Yeah, and you made a great analogy there. You know, absolutely. Ian was to Charlie what Katrina was to Camille. Absolutely. When you look at the the, the tracks and landfall points of Charlie in 2004 and Ian in, two, in, uh, in 2022, same landfall point, same intensity, very different storm surges. And the difference was, as you pointed out, the size of the hurricanes. Charlie was very small. Ian was really big. And that's like the big, I feel like that's the, one of the biggest sort of discoveries about hurricanes that we've had over the last 20 years, or I don't want to say discoveries, but the, the point has really been underlined by a bunch of storms, including Katrina, which is that the size of a hurricane really matters when it comes to storm surge, not just the intensity, it's the size. And, you know, obviously Katrina is a great example, came ashore in Mississippi or at the Mississippi-Louisiana state line is a category three, but the highest storm surge on record in the Western Hemisphere in Mississippi and a category three because it was so large and there were other factors involved. Obviously, another good example, Ike in Texas in 2008, only a category two, but but again, a storm surge well over 20 feet. And I think Ian was a strong hurricane, but also large. And I think that's why that storm surge was so bad. And folks were not, I think they were genuinely surprised because of Charlie, which had almost no storm surge. I think the conversation that you and I, you and I are having has really helped inform people not to take that you have to look at each storm each storm specifically you can't look back the other is the the, the ability to put technology along the way so people can actually see the water rise that's going to save a lot of lives um we're out of time josh but it's been a pleasure to catch up with you my friend ricky it's always awesome to come back thank you for injecting a little mississippi into my day <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Listen, uh, I hope that next year's season is super quiet. Let's put it that way. I know that you know from a from a scientist's point of view, maybe you don't feel that way. But it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. Have a great holiday, my friend, and we will see you soon. Thanks, Ricky. This has been Josh Morgan, and the top hurricane chaser in the world. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.